I'm going to do it. Preach the word, Matthew chapter 27. Grace and peace. All right, that was, that, that sort of encouraged me just a little bit. Not a whole lot. Grace and peace. Grace and peace. Amen. We're so glad you guys are here. And uh, we are going to be looking at the last lesson in our series that we've been doing called Kingdom Come, about the book of Matthew and about the kingdom of God and about how the kingdom comes in my life right here now, not perfectly. But that's why we pray that prayer. Lord, your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. And we get to participate in that happening in our life. And I hope you've been blessed by what we've studied in Matthew. I know that I certainly have. In a couple of weeks, it's an unusual deal. I guess maybe it happens every seven years, I suppose. But it's an unusual deal that Christmas Day falls on Sunday morning. And so then, you know, the the church says, well, what are we going to do? Because everybody's going to be doing their Christmas stuff Sunday morning. And so some people have been asking us that. Are we having a different time or a special service or what are we doing? And some years we have a Christmas Eve service, but this year we will not. We're not having a Christmas Eve service. But on Sunday morning, we are going to have uh, no classes and we'll meet here at 1030 for an abbreviated time to sing Christmas carols. Some dads and their kids are going to be up here uh, leading us in carols, reading uh, some chapters of the Bible, or not chapters, reading some verses, sorry about that, and uh, saying some prayers. If If you're a dad that's here and you would like to participate in that, is that okay if I ask for that? So if you're a dad, because we don't want to leave anybody out, but if you're a dad and you think, well, I'd like to do that on Christmas Day with my kids, Uh, then please talk to Brian right after services today. He's putting that together, and you would be welcome to participate in that. Well, we've also, another thing we've got going on is we're getting stuff together for Christian services, and so we're asking you to donate coats and also canned goods, and this is the adult side over here, and we have brought 151 uh, cans of food which is pretty good. It's better than the kids. We're winning. No, no, no. Just, just, just the canned goods. We're winning on this. And so, and that's, that's the whole point is to win. Okay, not really. But we do want to win. Okay, and then on jackets, we have 19 jackets that the adults have brought, but they have a bunch more than that. They have more jackets. So, uh, come on. Let's go. We got to, yeah, we got to get this we got to get this together. We want to be the winners of this competition. And uh, obviously, I'm kind of kidding around with you guys about all that because all of these canned goods and all these coats are given away in Christian services to people who are cold and hungry. And so we hope you'll continue to participate in that. That's going to go on actually into January a little bit. And next week, you'll just get to hear a little bit more information from, uh, from Miss Margot. Uh, Lord willing, about Christian services and and what they're doing there and what other needs they have. And so I know you'll be blessed by that next week as she shares a little bit of that. I wonder who comes to mind when you think of some of the worst or most cruel leaders in all of history. I mean, I think all of us probably initially think of Hitler, probably, but there's others that we know of. Idi Amin, I can remember from when I was a 
a young kid, Attila the Hun I've read about, Genghis Khan, Ivan the Terrible, Joseph Stalin may be the worst as far as uh, statistically how many people of his own people that he actually killed. And then, of course, more recently, we have Jerry Jones. And um, some of you will get that later during the Dallas game. By the way, Dallas is doing awesome. That's not a Dallas Cowboy joke. The Dallas Cowboys are doing great. I think they're going to win the Super Bowl this year. I think they will. So, these people that I just mentioned, they're known. They're known for cruelty. They're known for torturing and pillaging and murdering and genocide. And some of them died by being assassinated by people around them. Some of them died by suicide And a few of them lived long lives and died of natural causes. But rest assured that when those people I just mentioned, when they died, boy, they were celebrating. There was much celebrating. There was much rejoicing because someone with too much power and too much evil intent in their heart is gone from the lives of the people that they ruled. And too often that's just The truth, it is the case too often with rulers and with kings. It's the reason that the United States of America came to be. Most rulers and kings struggle with the temptation that power brings, and many of them are not good. But what if there was a king who was good? What if there was... A king above all other kings who was good? What if there was a king who made right judgments and decisions for the benefit of the kingdom and the subjects in the kingdom? What then? What would that be like? Well, today we're going to look at a bunch of scriptures in Matthew 27, and we're going to see what it looks like when somebody is a good king. So let's pray and then we'll read begin to read our text this morning god thanks so much i'm grateful to be here with my brothers and sisters in christ i thank you god for the guests who are here this morning who i know there's quite a few who are visiting from out of town and some who are here uh from from rudoso that aren't necessarily members but they're here with us today and i pray that all of those people will feel welcome and loved and blessed today and most of all regardless of who we are i pray that we would All of us would be encouraged, God, to grow closer to Christ. I pray that all of us would leave here with our hearts full of the decision and intent to encourage other people to grow closer to Christ. Help us, God. Help us to walk with you day in and day out. Lord, we're grateful for your word. We're grateful for these texts, and we're grateful today that as we, as we try every week and every day of our lives to make the center of our life the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection, thank you for these verses about the gospel. And Jesus, how could we, how could we ever say it? How could we ever show you how thankful we are for what we're about to read It's amazing. Help it to sink in again, fresh in our hearts. It's so easy for us when we've heard this story over and over, uh, just, I don't know, Lord, just to sort of 
not listen very well, maybe, sometimes for me. And so I'm asking you to do the miracle of digging some new ears for me today. I'm asking you to do the miracle in my heart and in our hearts of cracking our heart open a bit today to hear this story again and to remember this was for us. God, I thank you today for our Christian community. I'm grateful for the the other churches who we get to serve beside in this community. And today, Lord, I just want to, as we pray for a different church every week, and as it's their turn, God, I just want to pray for First Baptist Church, and I want to be grateful for them. Thank you for for Alan and Gina. And uh, God, we pray that you would please today, that you would speak the, the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection through the, through the preaching at First Baptist. And we pray that as people hear that story, that it would indeed be exactly what you said it is in the Bible, that it would be the power unto salvation. We want the kingdom of God to grow. That's our great desire, God. That's what we want our lives to be about. And so we pray that prayer today. Now may the words of my mouth and may the meditation of our heart be acceptable in your sight. And we pray it all through the name of the King of Kings, Jesus Christ. And everyone said, Amen. Matthew chapter 27 is where we'll begin today. Matthew 27. We're going to move through quite a few scriptures today. And this will start us out in verse 33. Matthew 27, verse 33. They came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull. And there they offered Jesus wine to drink, mixed with gall, but after tasting it, he refused to drink it. When they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots. And sitting down, they kept watch over him there, and above his head, they placed the written charge against him. This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. Pilate calls this man, Jesus, king, king of the Jews. And even though he does it tongue in cheek, and he does it as a backhand slap to these hypocritical religious leaders that he knows have mocked this whole deal, it's still the truth, isn't it? It's the truth on a sign for the whole world to see Here is your king. So how how will you respond? How will you respond to this king? And Matthew 27 and 28 are full, especially 27 we're going to look at today, are full of the way people responded to this king. Let's look at some of those. The first one, we'll back up in chapter 27 to verse 3 through 5. And this is the man Judas. When Judas, who had betrayed him, I'm in verse 3, saw that Jesus was condemned, he was seized with remorse. And he returned the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priest and the elders. I've sinned, he said, for I betrayed innocent blood. And then skipping over to verse 5, Judas threw the money into the temple court and left. And then he went away and he hanged himself. Judas, 
close friend of the king who betrayed the king. He tries. He tries to take it back. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever tried to take something back? He tries to turn back the clock. Have you ever thought that? Oh, if I could just go back to that day. He tries to make things right, but some things cannot be undone. And unfortunately, this man Judas, who was friends with the king, didn't know him well enough because he just couldn't live with that mistake. He didn't think that Jesus could forgive him. So he ends his own life. Skipping all the way back to verse 1, we see another group of people. This says, early in the morning, all the chief priests and the elders of the people made their plans how to have Jesus executed. And then skipping up to verse 6, it's talking about the same group of people. The chief priests picked up the coins that Judas had thrown, and they said, it's against the law to put this into the treasury since it's blood money. Now, how did they know it was blood money? Oh, yeah, because they're the ones who paid For the blood. Oh, that's right. That's how they knew. Verse 7. So they decided to use the money to buy a potter's field as a burial place for foreigners. The religious leaders. How do they respond to this king? They respond by keeping their rules and their rituals. We've got to go by the letter of the law when it comes to how we do things here in the sanctuary for one hour during this day. But the rest of the week... We can do whatever we feel like we need to do in order to keep the life that we want. You know, things like committing murder of the king of the Jews. There's another person that we see in the way that he responded. Chapter 27 and verse 15 through 18, we read this. Now it was the governor's custom at the festival to release a prisoner chosen by the crowd. At that time, they had a well-known prisoner whose name was Jesus Barabbas. So when the crowd had gathered, Pilate asked them, which one do you want me to release to you, Jesus Barabbas or Jesus who is called the Messiah? For he knew it was out of self-interest that they handed Jesus over to him. And then skip down to verse 20. But the chief priest and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas and to have Jesus executed. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? Asked the governor. Barabbas, they answered, Barabbas. The most powerful man in this whole region, to some of these people in their whole world that they knew, the most powerful man caves in to what? He caves in to peer pressure. The pressure of the people around him. And he chooses to be kind to a terrorist that he knows he should not be instead of doing what he knows is the right thing to do and being fair to this good king. His wife even gets involved. 27 verse 19. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. Don't have anything to do with this innocent man. I've suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. Pilate's wife dreams about the good king. And at least she has enough something in her heart, something good, to warn her husband about this innocent man. Leave him alone. 
Chapter 27, verse 24, we see what Pilate decides to do as he's stuck. When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but that instead an uproar was starting, he took water and he washed his hands in front of the crowd. I am innocent of this man's blood, he said. This is your responsibility. So Pilate is stuck between the pressure of his wife saying, this man is innocent, leave him alone, and and between that and the pressure of the crowd. And he finds himself frozen. You ever found yourself there? You're stuck in between the pressure that, that is powerful this way and the pressure that's powerful this way. You ever just felt yourself frozen? You don't know what to do? And so he simply washes his hands and walks away from the entire situation. And he moves on with his life and his political career. No big deal to him. Some guys had to go to work that day. The day that the king was killed. What did they do the day they had to go to work? Chapter 27, verse 27 through 31 Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers around him. They stripped him and they put a scarlet robe on him and they twisted together a crown of thorns and they set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand. They knelt in front of him. They mocked him. Oh, hail, hail, king of the Jews. They spit on him. They took the staff. They struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe. They put his own clothes on him and they led him away to crucify him. Soldiers Soldiers go to work, and it's just another day to them. It's another day to do what they get paid to do. It's their duty to whip and mock and nail another person to another cross. They're just maintaining the status quo of the times. Nothing too unusual for them. These folks already have a king, don't they? His name is Caesar. And so this supposedly good king doesn't mean a lot. And they're certain by day's end, he'll be gone and forgotten soon enough. There's some other people that are around when Jesus is actually hanging on the cross. Chapter 27, verse 38. Two rebels were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those who passed by, they hurled insults at him, shaking their heads and saying, you who are going to destroy the temple and build it, In three days, save yourself. Come down from the cross if you're the son of God. In the same way, the chief priest and the teachers of the law and the elders mocked him. He saved others, but he can't save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we'll believe him. He trusts God. Let God rescue him now if he wants him, for he said, I'm the son of God. And in the same way, the rebels who were crucified with him also heaped insults on him. I know we've read this over and over. And I think it's just, we, it's so easy just to lose it. Like, oh yeah, we know about these people and they were mocking him. 
But can you imagine if there was someone in New Mexico who was given the death penalty and they were going to be executed midnight on a certain date? And if they opened the room up for people to come in and laugh at that person, make fun of that person, tell them, come on, think you can get away now? Give it a shot. If you can, if you think you can, come on. You did all that when you were before. Oh, come on, ha, 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 whatever. I just think we lose the impact of what these people are doing to a dying man. At least one of the criminals dying beside Jesus mocks him along with his enemies who make fun of him and they challenge him to try working a miracle now. No good king would be hanging on a cross, helpless, weak, broken, and finished. No good king would be there. There were a few other people hanging at the back of the crowd. Chapter 27, verse 55, many women were there watching from a distance. They had followed Jesus from Galilee to care for his needs. Among them were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, and the mother of Zebedee's sons. Only his mother and a few women are strong enough to stay by his side. It's what Matthew tells us. Surely their hearts, they're being pierced every single minute of this cruel, horrible, shameful, embarrassing death that's happening to this king. Sign says, King of the Jews. Here is the King of Kings. Here's the promised Messiah. Here's the one who lays down his life. It's not taken from him. Here's the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth. And at this particular moment, he doesn't look very kingly. But folks, make no mistake about it. He will come again and everyone is going to know that he's king when he comes back. Not just king, but the king of all kings. John gives us that picture in Revelation that we read this morning. It was read from the text by John Harrell. He doesn't come again riding on a donkey. This time he comes riding a white horse. This time he comes with the armies of heaven following behind him. He has a sword and a scepter to rule. He is faithful and true. And if anyone wonders on that day, who is that? There will be no mistake about it because the name on his robe and on the side of his thigh says, King of kings and Lord of lords. Paul gives us some insight into that day when he writes to the Christians in Philippi and he says, God gave him that name and it's the name that is above every name and every single knee on earth and under the earth and above the earth is going to bow and every single tongue is going to confess. King of kings. That is not a question. That's how it's going to be. 
It's not a possibility. It's a promise from God the Father. The question and the possibilities are not about then on that day and what's going to happen. The questions are about now, this day, while we sit right here. And ironically, the question, the question is not asked by an apostle. The question is not asked by a high priest. The question is not even asked by a Jewish person who they had all been looking for the Messiah, for the King of Kings. The most important question in our lives comes from a Roman politician in chapter 27, verse 22. What shall I do then with Jesus? That question rings through the centuries. And the weight of it settles in this room here today on our hearts. No other question in the world is so important as this question. No other answer in your entire life will have such consequence We've read today what other people did, and they serve as examples mostly of things not to do. And so the question today is, what will you do with this king? What will you do with Jesus? And I'm going to tell you two things as we finish today that I believe that this text points us toward and tells us. These are two things that you need to do. The first one is this. You need to trust Him. Chapter 27, verse 25, when Pilate asked that question, all the people answered, His blood be on us and on our children. Now they're answering, we want to crucify this guy. We're sick of this guy. This guy is bothering our system. This guy is messing up the status quo. This guy is shaking up all the powers that be. And for whatever reason, we want him gone. And he says, why? 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 He's innocent. And they say, we'll take the responsibility. His blood is on us. But an irony, another irony of this faith fateful day, are that these words screamed from this bloodthirsty mob for an execution. These words are the only words of hope in all of creation. The blood of Jesus. His blood covering my sins. His blood on my children. It's the only hope. Isaiah talks about, I've given you a robe of righteousness. What is that robe? It's the robe of Jesus. It's the robe that he purchased. It's the robe of his blood. It's when God looks at us, he sees Christ's perfection. And I have to ask you today, have you put your trust in him? I have to ask you that. Have you put your trust in Jesus? Have you humbly come before the King 
of kings? And have you laid down your life at his feet? Have you brought him? Have you brought him your sins? Have you asked him to save you by this sacrifice that we just read about? And if there's anybody here today that hasn't done that, it is not an accident that you're here today. That's not an accident. It's not a coincidence. Right now, the King of Kings is here with us. And he's inviting you right this moment to trust him. To do that today. While there are many horrible rulers, cruel kings, evil dictators through the ages that have pressed their will on their subjects, I want to remind you that this king, this king is good. This king is the king of kings. And he stands here today. What humility for a king to come to you and invite you to trust him, to join his kingdom. And I have to tell you, I've been praying and praying and praying that if there's anybody here today who has never trusted him, that you will respond and trust him today. Ask him to save you today. Ask him to live in your heart today. Trust him. That's the first thing. And the second thing the scriptures tell us is this. Obey him. The last words that Matthew records, the last words out of Jesus' mouth that he says that Jesus spoke before he ascended back to the Father, say that he has all authority in heaven and on earth. How foolish would it be to do anything but to obey the person who has all authority on heaven and earth? The king of kings. Obey him. And he gives us in this text four things that he says, obey these things. I'm leaving, and I want to tell you this before I go. And the first one is to go. He's the king of kings, and he says to you, have you if you've trusted him, if you're a follower, if you're a disciple, if you call yourself a Christian, then he says this, go, go this week. Go to the whole world. And you may say, how am I going to go to the whole world? I mean, I just, I live in Upper Canyon, you know? Can't go to the whole world. Well, go next door. Go to your workplace. Go to your friend's Christmas party. Go to your basketball game and your baseball practice. Go to your classes at school. And when you go, realize you are going in the name of the King of Kings. You're his ambassador. You're his representative. So go. And next he says, make disciples. He commands it. Make disciples. As you follow this King of Kings, invite other people to follow this way that you are living. Invite others to walk with this king of kings that you're walking with every single day. And then you walk along beside those new believers. 
Walk next to them so they can learn the ways of the kingdom. That's what it means to disciple somebody. And now on a very practical note, I'll tell you this. If there's somebody that you're trying to disciple, if there's someone you're trying to teach the way, we have a little booklet here at our church. And it's called Discipleship Partners. And it's a 10-week meeting between you and your friend. Make disciples. Thirdly, he says, baptize. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Sometimes people ask me, why do you guys talk so much about baptism over there at Gateway? I get asked that question. And I guess that's a matter of perspective and your background probably. But one good reason to invite people to be baptized is because these are Jesus' last words. These are his last marching orders. The king of kings says, before I go, let me remind you of these things and go obey them. And one of them is baptism. In the first century, there is no way that anyone who claimed Christianity, who decided I'm going to follow Jesus. I'm going to be a disciple. There's no way any of those people would have not been baptized. They wouldn't have seen it as an option if I'm open to it. Every example we have in the New Testament is the same. A person believed. A person trusted Jesus to save them. And immediately that believer was baptized. And if you haven't done that, if you haven't been baptized as a believer, let me just remind you that the King of Kings says, be baptized today in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And the fourth thing he says is teach. Teach. I think there's a lot of great reasons to go to church. I know people who, who start going to church because their family's falling apart. And they just think, man, we got to do something. Maybe if we went to church, it'll help. I think that's great. Go to church. That's awesome. Some people are like, man, I'm, I'm hanging around bad, bad people in the world. I mean, I'm getting in trouble, and i got to find some good people. Maybe there's some good people at church. Well, that's a great reason to go to church. That's awesome. But I want you to think for just a moment. If there was no church here in Rodoso or in Texas where you live, if there was no church, if it was just you, and you said, well, I'm a Christian, and somebody said, why? Why are you doing that? Would you be able to say, well, this is why? Because the Bible says... Because God said, because Jesus said, because the Holy Spirit has. Starting on January 4th, we're going to begin reading through the New Testament together. And we're going to finish close to Easter Sunday. And so we're going to be giving you schedules to keep up and read along. Why would we do that? 
trying to prove something? We're going to have a scale on the wall and mark it off our, how many daily Bible readers we are and how spiritual and holy we are? Trying to work our way to heaven by being good and being able to say to God someday, I read through the whole New Testament in 2017, God, let me in. That's not the reason. We want to read because we want to know the king. We want to grow closer and closer to Christ. And one of the best ways we can do that is to read his teaching. To be ready to encourage others to grow closer to Christ by his teaching. Trust him. Obey him. On December 3rd, 1975, on Sunday night, I was at church with my parents, and Harvey Porter stood up and preached a sermon. I have no idea what he said, just like most of you will have no idea what I said today when we get done. That doesn't mean that it's useless or that it doesn't mean it. Things sink into our hearts. We don't have to remember what the preacher said. God works, and God was working in my life. I had trusted Jesus. I had believed him. I had asked him, please take away my sins. And on December 3rd, 1975, over 40 years ago now, the song leader stood up and opened that old yellow book, Songs of, songs of the Church, I think, something like that. I can't remember the number. The song's not in our book now. But they sang the song. What will you do with Jesus, my friend? Neutral, you cannot be. Someday, your heart will be asking, oh friend, what will he do with me? And I walked to the front of that church building, and my dad came with me, and we went over into a place like this where there was some water. And he asked me if I believed that Jesus Christ was the Son of God, and if Jesus Christ was my Savior, and if he was the Lord of my life. And I claimed, yes, before people, yes, he is. And my dad immersed me into the death and the burial and the resurrection of Jesus so that, as the scriptures say, I could raise up to walk a new life. And I have regretted a lot of things I've done in my life. I've regretted a lot of decisions I've made. But I'm going to tell you this. Not one single day of my life have I ever regretted December 3rd, 1975? What will you do with Jesus, my friends? The invitation is yours. The King of Kings is here. If you need to respond today, you come to him right now. Let's stand and let's sing.